You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Our scripture reading today is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 20 to 30. I'm reading from the Common English Bible. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as always, whether I live or die. Because for me, living serves Christ and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work, but I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to leave this life and be with Christ, which is far better. However, it's more important for me to stay in this world for your sake. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with all of you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. That way you won't be afraid of anything your enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. You are having the same struggle that you saw me face, and now hear what I'm still facing. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you to Joan for reading our scripture. And I wanted to share with you that this past week, uh, during the visitation time, right before Shirley Bonneville's funeral began, one of her nephews asked if I liked leading funerals as part of my work. And I told him that some funerals are definitely harder than others to lead, depending on the specific circumstances of the person and how they lived and how they died. But it is always an honor to be part of a service, because there are holy moments where you hear stories and get a glimpse of someone's life in a way that you never knew before. And on Tuesday, of course, we heard incredible stories about Shirley as a mom, as a grandmother, and even a great-grandmother, of her as an aunt, as a friend, and even as a patient at her nursing home. We hear these stories, and it makes the person a little bit bigger than we had known them to be because we get to hear what they're like as a friend, a spouse, an employer, a neighbor. Sometimes the stories entertain us, Sometimes they teach us, other times they inspire us. Stories are, in fact, a way that we can tell truth about one another and for one another. When we share stories following the death of a loved one, we can cry and laugh all in the same breath. 
It is a way that we remember the ones we loved and make sense of their life and their death. And in fact, stories are ways that we make sense of the world and are often how we make sense of our place in the world. Philosopher Alastair McIntyre said, before we answer the question, who am I and what am I to do? We must first answer the question, what story or stories am I part of? The truth is that we all live and die by the stories that we tell ourselves. Stories shape the way we live. And we live in the world that knows how important stories are because we are bombarded with storylines all the time. Commercials are 30 seconds of a story that try to tell us how something in our life is lacking and how that product can fix it. Or they tell us how we should be doing something. Stories sometimes tell us about how we should live, how we should love, what to do if someone hurts our feelings. Stories told to us by the families in which we grow up are so foundational that we shape, that they shape our whole lives. For some people, these are wonderful stories of belonging. For others, they are stories of hurt. Every story attempts to shape us and who we are in the world. And so when we come to worship week after week, we encounter the story of God and God's people. And it is an opportunity to remind ourselves of the truth of who we are and whose we are. Because so often the stories that are bombarding us through media and sometimes even the stories that we heard growing up, they are a false story. In her book, Rising Strong, Brene Brown says, we all have stories that we're telling ourselves. And until we get honest and own them, they will continue to define us. When we let the false stories define us, it prevents us from living into another story, a better and truer story, a story that leads to life, healing, freedom, and joy. What might a better and truer story be? For us who are, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, it is rooted in the story of Jesus, his life, his birth, his ministry, his death, and resurrection. This Jesus story is the one that we encounter first in the gospel writers as they describe their encounters with Jesus. And then it is through writers like Paul who had an incredible encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And then it is through people over the centuries who have lived as Christians, who have preached from God's word, who have lived faithfully, and then people today whose stories are still being written, who are disciples of Christ, who are trying to make sense of their own lives along with Jesus as a part of it. So that is part of why we come to church week after week is to remember our story, the true story of who we are as God's beloved children. And so this week we encounter St. Paul we get a glimpse of his story through the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi. It was the very first church that he planted there, sometime between 61 and 63 CE. And here he is in prison, writing them a letter. 
It is clear from his reflections in this letter that he did not know if he would be sentenced to death. You can hear in the words that Joma read for us a few moments ago, quote, it is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now as always, whether I live or die. The circumstances of his arrest have not dampened Paul's joy or his passion for preaching. In fact, it might have even caused him to narrow his focus and to be even more passionate about reinforcing with those churches he had preached to you about how important it is to see the fruit of his life as he shared Christ with others and to know that when he dies, he indeed will claim the promise of resurrection. Paul's argument is hinging on the presence of the resurrected Christ in his own life. It is clear For him, death is not a transition into a state of non-existence. It is instead a transition into life eternal with the risen Christ. Therefore, he is not afraid. He has no doubt that he will be reunited with the Christ that he encountered on that road to Damascus. He has a faith that allows him to know that it is good if he lives and continues to work in the name of Christ, and it is indeed good if he goes to be with Christ. This faith was clear in St. Paul and was indeed clear among other believers in Christ throughout the years. In the spring of 1945, the last message written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer before his execution in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany, demonstrates a similar kind of faith. Quote, For me, this is the end, but also the beginning. I believe in the principle of our universal Christian brotherhood, which rises above all national interests, and that our victory is certain. From our perspectives on death, We center everything around the resurrection of Christ, and this makes all the difference. It means that we don't have the typical human perspective on life. About 20 years ago, there was a popular philosophy that people used the acronym YOLO. Does anyone here remember what that stands for? I see one shake. What, What was it? Exactly. You only live once. This was kind of a phrase that people would often say before doing something fairly stupid and dangerous and something that would have potentially fatal consequences. It was a philosophy that meant life doesn't matter, do whatever you want. But Paul is saying something very different here. Paul is writing and saying with conviction that how we live in this life matters because this life leads into the next. For Paul, the story of his life was defined and patterned after the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul had a passion for sharing the story of Jesus and telling how it changed his life when he became Paul and set aside his old life when he was called Saul. 
This passion led him to plant many churches and to nurture those communities of faith by continuing to write them letters, both pastoral and also instructional. This church here at Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers and known for its patriotic nationalism. And there, Paul faced resistance when he announced that it was Jesus who was the true king of the world, not Caesar. After Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Christ suffered the same kind of resistance and even persecution there in Philippi. And yet there became a vibrant community of faith. People who were willing to let God write their story and to make their focus on the resurrected Christ. Paul sent them this letter of encouragement when he was in prison. He wanted to thank them for the financial gift that they had sent to him, but he also wanted to instruct them and encourage them as they faced persecution for centering their lives around the resurrected Christ. Paul was optimistic that he would be released from prison, but the reality was he could have been executed. And he makes it clear that he knew either way God would be glorified. If he continued to live and to work in ministry and share the good news of Jesus Christ, God would be glorified. And if the Romans decided to make him a martyr and he became one with Christ after death, then God would be glorified. This is the way that Paul lived his life, knowing that good would come if he remained in the world and did his work that God gave him to do, and knowing that when the time came, he would be reunited with Christ. He knew that God would be glorified whether he lived or died. And he writes to these believers at Philippi to encourage them to find their own identity centered around the resurrected Christ. Paul had patterned his life on Jesus, and he wanted them to do the same. He encouraged them to take up the mindset of Christ and to find their true identity in the pattern of the way that Jesus lived. Being a disciple of Christ means being a participant in the story of Jesus. We write our own stories or we allow God to write them. When we allow God into our life, we're saying that we're not going to live on our own terms. YOLO, you only live once. I'll do whatever I want. Instead, we're saying we will allow God into our life to be the author, to be the one who will allow us to live or to die, and it will bring glory to God either way. If you imagine the story of your life with a blank page next, what do you think God would want to write? If you imagine the story of your life with an unknown number of pages and chapters remaining, what is God calling you to do as God authors your life? None of us know how many pages are left in our, the story of our own lives. But it is a gift to know that no matter what happens, God can and will be glorified. In the very first hymn that we sang in worship, it was Hymn of Promise. And I know that some folks only listen to the sermon on a podcast, so they don't get to hear the hymns in worship. So I'm going to read a little bit of the lyrics of this Hymn of Promise. 
Composer Natalie Sleeth wrote, In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. Sometimes in our life, we are living with the potential of what will be someday. We do not know yet what God has for us, but sometimes we know that one day there will be an apple tree because we see the seed. The composer continues on saying, There is a dawn in every darkness bringing hope to you and me. From the past will come the future, what it holds a mystery, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. In our end is our beginning, in our time, infinity. In our doubt, there is believing, in our life, eternity. In our death, a resurrection, at the last, a victory. Unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. May we, like Paul, hope with daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in the story of our life as God continues to write page after page, knowing that one day we will find in our life eternity and in our death a resurrection. Thanks be to God for the grace that continues writing. Amen.